A good day and welcome once again to our Bible study. We're going to continue on today in the Gospel of John in chapter 9. And today we'll be covering verses 13 through 23. And the title of today's lesson is The Pharisees Investigate the Healing, Part 1. So there's going to be two parts in this series. If you look back from last week, last week we, we witnessed or we studied where Jesus did one of the greatest miracles that he ever did. Now, Jesus did many miracles, right? But, but this was probably one of the greatest miracles that he ever did. And why is that? Because he healed a man that was born blind, right? And up until this time, no one ever in the history of this world had been born blind and had their, had, had their sight regained, so to speak, right? And this is very, very significant. Why? And you might say, why? Because Jesus could have healed this man in any way possible, right? I mean, he kept speaking and speaking healings and speaking. But this time what he does, he doesn't speak it. He actually physically heals this man. And why is that? Because it's to show the religious leaders that he really is what the old prophets predicted. Because in the Old Testament, the prophets predicted that one sign of the coming of the Messiah was that he was going to heal the blind. So Jesus in particular here is, is his emphasis is to show the Pharisees to recognize, for them to recognize that he is truly that Messiah that the prophets talked about in the Old Testament. So let's jump into today's lesson. And today you're going to see that the Pharisees and they're amazed at what was going on, right? They knew God was moving in some way. And, and being the, the, the spiritual leaders, the, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, they, what they do is they, they start to investigate this miracle that they witness. So let's jump into today's study, beginning in verse 13. This is what it states. It says that they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And the man said, he put mud on my eyes and he told me to go wash. And now I can see. But some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can he be a sinner to perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What, have to you, what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind. And he had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We don't know. We know he is our son, the parents answered, but we don't know how he can see. He was born blind. Well, how can he see now? Or who opened his eyes? And they said, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And his parents said, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah 
would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So let's go back up to verse 13. And verse 13 today starts off, the scripture tells us that they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, right? So we see here that this man that was born blind, now they can see because Jesus healed him with a great miracle, right? They bring this man to the Pharisees. Now, what do we know about the Pharisees? Well, we know that the Pharisees were one of two religious groups, the religious leadership in Israel at this time, right? We also have said this several times that, that the, the Pharisees, they knew the Torah, the first five books of our Old Testament. They studied the Torah, right? They, they studied the old prophets. They knew what the old prophets had prophesied. But something else about the Pharisees that we need to remember is that they had come up with their own law called the, called the oral law, right? The traditions of the elders. And this is what we also know, that they neglected the truth of God, the Torah, and the old prophets. And they believed in the resurrection also. But they neglected the truth over their man-made rules, over their oral law. Now, they weren't only the religious leaders, right? They were just one of two sectors. The second sector of religious leaders were called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, they knew the Torah. But that's all they studied was the Torah. They didn't study the old prophets. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, right? And we know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees really didn't like each other. But in, in this case, right, starting in the Gospel of Matthew all the way throughout the Gospels, and we've seen it even in the Gospel of John, they're working together here to get rid of Jesus, to get rid of Yeshua, right? So we see here that this passage, in particular the Gospel of John, the, the focus is more on the Pharisees. Why is that? Because the Pharisees at this time were, were more well-known in the nation of Israel or throughout the nation of Israel, right? In other words, they lived out their religious belief in a public manner. So people knew about them more, right? They wanted people to see them as the spiritual leaders of the nation. So therefore, it isn't surprising that after this miracle right here, right, they witnessed, they, they, they seen people witness this miracle, and some Pharisees were even present for this, right? And it grabs their attention, right? Be, because this man supposedly was born blind, but now he regained his sight. And, and, and this had never happened before in the history of the world. So because of this, they're amazed. You see, they understand that in some unique and, and crazy way, weird way. They know that God is present here. They know that God is moving here, right? Now, let me ask you this question. Are you able to perceive the movement of God in and around your life? What I'm saying is this. You need to perceive it, right, in order to respond in a proper way. And that's what this passage is telling us to do because we're going to see that the, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders, 
the spiritual leaders, right? They don't do this. They don't perceive it and they don't respond to it in a proper way because they're going to neglect the truth again, as you're going to see. So I'm going back to my question. If, if, if you want to perceive things, right? Are you willing to respond to it in a proper way? That's the question. Verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus has had made the mud and opened the, the, opened the man's eyes. Listen to what the, the scripture tells us. It was called the Sabbath day. Now, notice what is emphasized in the passage, right? It's not that Jesus put mud on this man's face. That's not what the emphasis of this passage is. The emphasis is more on the Sabbath day, right? Because he was healed when? On the Sabbath. You see, according to the Pharisees' law, not the Torah, but according to their man-made laws, their oral law, the traditions of the elders, this was a violation of the Sabbath, but that's not true according to the Torah. In other words, according to their law, you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. That was the oral law. That's what the oral law stated. That's what, that's what you want to call it, the traditions of the elders. They wrote that law in. Remember, they neglect the Torah, they neglect the truth, and they follow right now their own oral law, the traditions of the elders, right? But what they say is a lie because the Torah never says that, right? If you look at Jesus' miracles throughout the Bible, most of those miracles happen on the Sabbath day. But you see, this is the problem with the Pharisees, right? These religious leaders, the Pharisees, they missed out on the purpose of what Jesus did. See, he did this again. It's, but, but in particular, he didn't heal by speaking. He healed by physically doing a miracle. Not speaking it, but physically doing it, right? To reveal himself. He also did it to restore restoration to this man, right? Because he brought restoration to this blind man. who He, he was born blind. He brings restoration to him, right? And, and he, he did this so this man can be restored. So, so this man, you can say, can have victory in his life. And, and what do I mean by victory? Doing the will of God. And we're going to see as we go throughout this chapter that this is exactly what this man does. He's doing the will of the Father, right? He becomes to know Yeshua, Christ Jesus, of, of truly who he really is, that he is our Savior, that he is our Lord, that he is our provider, that he is our Redeemer, he is our Restorer, amen? You see what happens during our week, right? Is, is we get so caught up in our, our, our work days, right? Our week. That, that we kind of, some of us, miss out on our call in life of what really God wants us to do, right? So the Sabbath, that's what the Sabbath day was put in place for by God. God said, said it is a day of rest. He never said that you couldn't work on the Sabbath. He said it is a day of rest, right? Meaning what? Meaning he wants you to focus more on him. Why? Because he wants to bring restoration into your life, right? He wants you to follow 
his will. He wants you to regain the right perspective, I guess is the right words I'm looking for, right? And this is why he called it a day of rest. So it wasn't an accident or it isn't a violation of the law according to God's word, according to the Torah. But according to the Pharisees' law, because it's man-made, they say you can't work on the Torah. So Jesus didn't violate the Torah. Jesus didn't violate the Sabbath. So we see here that the Pharisees have it wrong. And you might say, why? Because once again, they disregard the truth and they follow their man-made laws and they follow their man-made rule. Verse 15, therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And a man said, he put mud on my eyes and he told me to go wash, now I can see. So we see once again here that the emphasis is on washing. The man said, that Jesus, he put clay on my eyes and he tells me, go wash. And I did. So we see here a separation taking place, right? A separation between that cursed ground, that mud, that clay, whatever you want to call it, right? And the washing, right? Because remember from last week, what is the cursed ground? It's sinful human flesh. Because Genesis tells us that God created us, what? From the dust, from the dirt, right? Yeshua spat on the ground, if you remember from last week. And you remember in, in, what we said in our, in our studies last week? Spitting in the Bible is related to a curse. Spitting on the ground, according to Deuteronomy 25.9. So the ground was a curse, and that curse is related to sin. That's what Yeshua is trying to teach us here, right? See, we created from the ground. So it is speaking of our sinful nature, our sinful condition, because we're all born sinners. And, and Jesus tells them, go wash in the pool of Siloam, right? Because it separates that curse of the ground, right? That human flesh that's stained with sin. And that's what he's telling this man. So Jesus told this man, go wash. Because washing, biblically speaking, is related to immersion, if you remember. And when someone is immersed into water, right, they go down. The first thing that should come to our mind is death. So this represents that one must die. Their sin must die, right? But when you are resurrected, when you come out of the water, right, that represents a resurrection. That represents a new life. And Jesus was trying to show us, Yeshua was trying to show us last week, that you die in your sin, but because of me, because I am the life of the world, because I am the bread, I am the gateway, you do what? You resurrect. I am the one that can resurrect you. So Jesus is telling this man, because you are cursed with sin, you need to, to wash it away. You need to be resurrected, right? And that's why when someone is baptized, right, they go on the water, then they what? They resurrect. They come up. See, here's the message for us, right? If we are going to see things from a proper perspective, right? Meaning from a kingdom perspective, right? We have to have the illumination of God in our life. We have to be separated from our sinful nature, from our human flesh. See, if you're really called to walk, and all of us are called to walk, but not in sin, but in the newness of our life, right? For us to be reborn, for us to be resurrected, right? 
In other words, Jesus is telling us here that he wants us to walk with him. And how do you walk with him today? You walk with him through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Notice what I said, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is he, not it. Because when Jesus died, before he ascended to the Father, he said, I will always be with you, right? I'm never leaving you. I will never forsake you. I'm not leaving, but I'm going to leave you an advocate. I'm going to leave you a comforter, right? And I will always go where you go. And I will never leave your side. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can he be a sinner and perform such signs? So you see they were divided. Some say, some Pharisees look at the scripture and say, this man's not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Well, that's not true. Because what Yeshua did was he kept the Sabbath. He also utilized the Sabbath day for the purposes of God. See, he brought restoration to this man. He put this man in this man's proper position. See, these Pharisees didn't understand the spiritual aspect of really what was going on. And because they really don't understand truth, because they neglect the truth over their man-made rules, over their man-made laws, right? They say that this man's not from God, meaning Jesus. But, but look what others say. Well, how can a sinner perform such wonderful signs, right? So we see a division here. So there's a group of Pharisees that actually question this. And they say, man, how can this man that, that healed this man that was born blind, which had never happened before, how can you say that he's a sinner and he, he does such powerful miracles? It's got to be that God's moving in some way. But I want to focus here on the word signs. This is important because it tells us really what we need to understand about the scripture, right? That this event that took place on the Sabbath was a sign to the people. And that sign is referring to the identity of Yeshua, to the identity of Christ Jesus. Verse 17. Then they turn again to the blind man. And what have you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened, the man replied. He said, he's a prophet. So the Pharisees, once again, they questioned this man. This blind man that was healed. And the blind man, he replies, this man Jesus, right? He, he's a prophet. He heals me, right? Now, this was a good thing to say. It was a good thing to say that, that Jesus is a prophet. But that is that really truly describing who Jesus is? No, it's not. See, Jesus is much more than a prophet. Because Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our Messiah. Jesus is our Savior. Amen. Verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been born blind and had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. So they, they really, they know it's a miracle. They're in amazement, but they're not, they refuse to accept it. Because they questioned this man. They didn't question him two times already. But they still don't believe him, so they sent for the man's parents, right? Now, they're speaking about the Pharisees, right? They don't believe him. 
They denying it. So they sent for his parents to confirm his story that he was born blind. Verse 19. So we see that the parents obviously get on the scene because verse 19 tells us, is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? So there's no question that this man can properly see. I mean, that, that, that's undeniable. So what the, they wanted to see if this man, what this man was saying that he was born blind, right? They really wanted to confirm it. So they bring in his, this man's parents and they ask his parents, right? You see what's happening here is that they're having a court case, you can say. They're having a hearing, you can say, to try to find out what's going on in this particular situation with this man. Now, I want you to understand this. It's fine to want to see what's going on, right? To want to find out the truth, right? But, but this is what we need to ask ourselves. If we are going to encounter God's truth, so to speak, right? In this case is what it is. It's God's truth. Are we truly willing to respond to it? In other words, are you willing to put into action and have your life changed for the good? For the kingdom or are you going to be like these pharisees and you're going to reject you're going to deny right you're going to keep making excuses verse 20 we know he is our son the parents answer and we know that he was born blind so right here they telling the truth now i want to focus in on born blind we see this phrase over and over in this lesson so far in the first section, and now we see it again in the second part of chapter 9. Why is that? Because up until this time, no one had ever had been born blind that can see. There was no such miracle that had happened. So it's letting us know once again that what's stated in the Old Testament by the prophets points that Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, He is the Messiah. So all John is doing here is reiterating. Remember, John points back, right? Just like Jesus does in the Gospels constantly. He goes back to the Old Testament. So he's pointing back and he's revealing truly the identity of Jesus here. But how can he see now? Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. They asked him. They say, ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. So let's go back and look at that first text. But how he can see now? Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. So they don't know. All they know is that their son is healed. Right? But look what else they say. Ask him. Because he's of age. And because he's of age, he can talk for himself. He can speak for himself. Now, I'm going to tell you what's happening here is this. The parents at this point are very intimidated by the religious leaders. You see, these leaders, they rule people by intimidation. Because, you see, if you didn't embrace their theology, if you didn't embrace them as true leaders, if you didn't agree with their traditions, right, with their sayings, right, then they cut you off from society. In other words, you'd have great consequences if you didn't bow down to them, if, if you didn't heed their words, if you didn't do exactly what they say. 
and they'll cut you off because they had such power, they had such authority, right? That they can get the people to turn on them. They can excommunicate you from the temple. And the temple was a big deal for the Jews. They went to the temple three times a day to pray, right? So they can turn the general public away from them. You see, this message is also for us. Because this is exactly what's going to happen toward the end times, right? That people are going to be intimidated by this one world government, by this one world leader. And they're going to turn on one another, right? See, the message for us is this. Will we remain faithful to God, to Jesus, his son, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what is happening in the world, right? See, many times serving God, serving Jesus, right? Being a follower of Christ, you suffer loss. It's not easy. It's hard. And I know this is something you probably don't want to hear, but it's the truth. See, there are a lot of pastors out there. There are a lot of ministers and preachers out there that teach on prosperity. And when I say prosperity, I mean material gain. Now, prosperity is important to God. He does want us to be prosperous. But he wants us to be prosperous in the things of God, right? In other words, he wants us to store up heaven. For, he wants us to store up treasures for the kingdom for in heaven. For his glory, for his honor, for his praise. Right? See, we all should be seeking those kingdom rewards that last forever, not earthly rewards that last only for a little while while we're on this earth. Now, going back to the scriptures, look what they say. They say, he is of age. Why don't you just ask him? Because he can speak for himself. Verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now, this is exactly what we just said. Exactly what we just spoke about, right? They feared the religious leaders. So they're not going to buck them. They, 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 they transfer all the blame. They say, ask my son. We don't have nothing to do with this, right? The scripture also continues on that says this, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So there you go. We see a change in the text here, right? John's purpose here is to make sure to reveal Jesus as the Messiah. Because the text tells us, they say, if anyone decides to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, they would be put out the synagogue. So John specifically is focusing here and telling us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, that He is divine, right? So we see that it was already decided by these religious leaders that if anyone acknowledged them in public that he was the Messiah, that they would be banned from praying in the temple. Now, this was a huge deal because this meant being excommunicated from the community, right? This means that no one would associate with you, right? They, in other words, you would be an outcast. And I'm going to tell you something, people. As we move into the end times and we get closer and closer to the return of, well, actually the rapture of the church first and that seven-year tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus, you're going to see more and more evil prevail in this world. 
And it's going to seem like evil is winning. And because fear is going to set in in people, they're just going to go with the rest of the world because they don't want people to come against them, right? They don't want no heartaches. They don't want no hardships. They don't want trouble, right? They don't want to maybe spend time in jail, whatever, right? Because it's coming. You see it already happening in different parts of the United States right now. Christians being persecuted in some way. Pastor, pastors and teachers of the religious sector are, are being persecuted. You see it. And it's eventually going to steam down to, to, to the general public. And the question I have for you is this. Are you going to be faithful to Christ? Are you going to be faithful to the kingdom? See, you can only be faithful if you follow truth. You can only be faithful if you're walking in the Holy Spirit. Because God says, fear no one but me. God says 365 times, be, do not be afraid, do not fear, fear not, but only fear me. But you see, the rest of the world doesn't see it that way because they live in darkness. They follow the path of the evil one, right? They follow the path of Satan, of the devil. Are you truly committed to Christ, people? Are you, are, are you truly committed to his word? Or do you neglect his word? See, you can go to church. You can... Talk like you all righteous and religious. But the minute you're away from church or the minute you're away from spiritual people, how do you live your life? You live like the rest of the world? Then if you do, then you're not truly following Christ. You're lukewarm. And if you're lukewarm, when bad things happen, when bad times come, you're going to fear. And you're going to give in to the world. You're going to give in to the government. You, because the government's Satan. Again, I don't mean to bring up politics, but politics plays a huge role in the end times. Just read the Bible. Read the book of Revelation. You trust no one but the Spirit. You trust no one but God. Amen? Be faithful. Walk in the Spirit, right? Pray in the Spirit. Because the Spirit reveals the Spirit gives illumination. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 23. Last verse today. That was why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. So the scripture is telling us here. This is why his parents were fearful. Because they're fearful of the religious leaders. They don't want to be excommunicated from the community. They don't want to be thrown out of the temple. Can't never worship in the temple, right? So, so what they're doing, the parents, is they're turning their backs on their son. And again, this is what we're going to see as we get closer and closer to the rapture of the church. Especially in that tribulation period. You don't want to be left. Because the scripture tells us that brother will turn on brother. And sister will turn on sister. And parents will turn on their children, and children will turn on their parents. Why? Because of fear. But remember, if you walk with God, you need only fear Him and nothing else. Now, if you go back to the Scripture, if you go back to the passage, what's happening here is this. The parents should be weeping for joy because this great miracle happened and their son can see. But instead, they're fearful. 
they're fearful, fearful what's going to happen to them if they go against the religious leaders. So what they say is just ask him. I mean, he's old enough to speak. He can answer for himself, right? But you see, there's good news in all of this, people. Because this will allow this man that was born blind who was healed by Yeshua, right? He's going to testify, and, and we're going to see that he's going to make the right decision in following Jesus, in being true to Jesus, right? He's going to respond to what God did in his life in an obedient manner. That's what we're going to find out. We're going to see that his act of faith, his act of obedience will release the power of God. So what we're going to see is that this man, because of his testimony, because of his faith, because of his obedience, because of his trust, right? God's going to use him as a vessel to teach, right? And to make a difference for his kingdom. But the leaders, they're not going to like this. Why? Because in their eyes, this man doesn't have the right credentials. See, whatever God has ordained for you people, right? God has your name on something. God wants to use you for something, right? It's yours already. You don't need credentials because God has already ordained it, right? Now, what are credentials? What's the most important credentials, I guess, we can have? The most important credentials I know that we can have is this in our life. To work for the kingdom. God has a work in your life that has kingdom purposes, amen? And the question that I want to leave you with this week is this. Are you willing to be used by God? Are you willing to accept what God has in store for your life that brings all, all honor and glory and praise to Him in His kingdom? Amen? This ends our lesson for this week. We're going to be back next week. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of John. We sure do appreciate you tuning in. Go be a light for someone this week. Be a blessing. Someone needs an uplift. Someone needs to know that they're loved. Someone needs to hear about Jesus and how Jesus loves us all, right? Despite our sinful ways. That Jesus is a forgiving God. That he's a loving God, right? Until next week, we love you guys. Y'all have a great, wonderful, blessed week. God bless.